Hey, welcome to the first episode of Austinesque Musings. My name is Christina Moreland. I am an author in the Jane Austen fanfiction community, or JAF, as I've heard it called. Um, I've also heard it called the Austinesque community. I think that term I first read um, in a post by Don Jacobson, who is an author in this community, written many books of Jane Austen fanfiction or Austinesque literature. My goal in this podcast, well, it really was born out of the fact that I was going to be reading for a uh, works in progress reading, um, actually hosted by Don Jacobson and Victoria Kincaid and Summer Hanford. Um, And I thought I'd practice reading aloud by reading something I've already written and published. So I thought I'd read a chapter of my published work, uh, Seasons of Waiting, a Pride and Prejudice variation. But I hope in future episodes that I will have more voices than just mine, because as you can hear, mine is not a professional podcasting voice. Um, I hope to have other authors and editors and readers in the JAF community um, join me and we can just have some conversations uh, about what's going on in this community of ours. Well, thanks for joining me and I hope you enjoy. This is the third chapter in my book, Seasons of Waiting, A Pride and Prejudice Variation. Um, The chapter is entitled, Dancing with Strangers. May 1817. Elizabeth did not know when it had begun, this loathing for assemblies. Perhaps if she were in Meryton, where the assembly hall was smaller and simpler, but no... The Meryton Assembly held associations that made even the gilt and shine of these London balls seem palatable by comparison. It had been her sister's idea to attend. Though she had given birth to her second son only the month prior, Mrs. Bellamy whirled across the floor with her husband as if she were still a giddy girl of six and ten. But then Catherine Bellamy remained, at heart, Kitty Bennet, and Elizabeth found herself immensely glad for this fact— even if it did mean that she was crushed between people she hardly knew. "'Come, Miss Bennet,' said the man next to her. "'Will you honour me with another dance?' She gave this Mr. Bellamy, her brother-in-law's brother, a sideways glance. "'I would not wish to monopolise you, sir. You have been so good as to dance with me once, and there are ladies who have yet to dance at all.' Indeed, she had seen many a young lady.' much younger than five and twenty, glanced this way, hopefully. And why should they not? David Bellamy was a handsome man, and respectable, too. For though he was the second son and only a vicar, he had a fine living and a modest inheritance. At least, this was what she had heard many a time from Kitty. Indeed, her sister had been particularly pointed in her guidance as they prepared for this ball. "'You must give him some encouragement, Lizzie. "'He is much superior to Mr. Collins, if that is what you fear. "'Not all vicars are so horrid. "'Besides, you are not getting any younger, you know.' "'As a veritable old maid,' Elizabeth had replied, "'I suppose I ought to heed your matronly wisdom. "'Only think how unfair it would be to Mamma if I were to listen to you "'when she has been giving me the same advice these many years without any success.' For all her teasing, Elizabeth would have been lying to herself if she did not admit to finding Mr. David Bellamy's attentions flattering. He was not an unpleasant man, not at all. 
He spoke well, had interesting views on poetry, and smiled at her many witticisms. But he had not once disagreed with her. He never stared, and if he ever came to love her, it would never be ardently. Of course, even ardent love had its limitations, as she knew only too well. She glanced back at Mr. Bellamy. Would he perchance disagree with her now? Would his eyes flash gray? Would he say, with warmth that belied the hard lines of his face, I wish to dance with you, Miss Bennet. Mr. Bellamy, all brown eyes and dimples, bowed. You are both correct and considerate, Miss Bennet. Excuse me, and I will return after another set, uh, unless I can bring you or my aunt some refreshments first. Elizabeth shook her head, not trusting herself to speak, lest laughter emerge, instead of words. Poor Mr. Bellamy. He had no idea what she required in a man, a spirit as perverse and contrary as her own. Just as he departed, the lady beside Elizabeth said, David, my boy, could you possibly... Old Miss Bellamy, which is to say an unmarried aunt of two and forty, had been talking with an acquaintance and had just turned back to her party. Oh, he has gone to dance, said Miss Bellamy, sighing. I thought he mentioned refreshments. Elizabeth bit back another laugh. Though she had stayed with the Bellamys for only a month, she had learned already that Miss Bellamy never passed up an opportunity for refreshments. "'May I bring you something in his stead, Miss Bellamy?' asked Elizabeth. "'Oh, that would never do, Miss Bennet.' This time, Elizabeth could not check her laughter. The only thing Miss Bellamy liked more than refreshment was etiquette, and in her day women never entered the refreshment room alone. Indeed, even in her day, Elizabeth supposed it was not exactly proper to leave the ballroom unaccompanied. But then she felt there must be some reward for reaching five and twenty without securing a husband, even if it be the pitiable privilege of approaching a refreshment table unchaperoned. Miss Bellamy need not have worried, for Elizabeth never made it out of the ballroom. She had taken only two steps when she saw him. A trick? of the rippling candlelight, a ballroom mirage conjured up by her silly comparisons to David Bellamy, her simple mistaken identity, any would have done. Yet there he stood, dozens of dancers between them, his gaze fixed on her. He must have seen her first, for there was no shock, no eyes widened in disbelief, or mouth half open, as must be true in her case. But then what did she know? He had never before shown the typical symptoms of astonishment, not even when she had told him, in no uncertain terms, that she would never marry him. Had the years changed him? This she could not tell, not at first when all she could think was his name. Only five years, but not once had she set eyes on him, not since the afternoon at the Lambton Inn, not since, I am afraid you have been long desiring my absence. No, she wanted to shout from across the room. You misunderstood. Or rather, she had. The kindness he had shown her at Pemberley, if such kindness had been a renewal of the affection she had once spurned, had not been strong enough to overcome all that had followed. How could she allow, have allowed herself to hope otherwise? He had changed. His face had grown longer, thinner, and yet somehow less haughty, but then that last bit might have had more to do with how she had changed, how she had finally learned, when it no longer counted, 
to see beyond the surface of things. Still he appeared grave, and she felt the old tug of contrarian spirit, never higher than when in his presence. Could she, at this distance of time and space, still make him smile in spite of himself? Her wit would do her no good now, for even if she were close enough to be heard, she had no power to speak. She was left only with the option of smiling and hoping he might return the favor. She wanted to offer a smile full of all the warmth and understanding she felt, for she did not blame him. How could she, after all that Lydia and George Wickham had put him through? How much had they cost him? Lydia had let it slip once, the role he had played in securing her marriage. Elizabeth had once allowed herself to believe that these efforts were proof of his love for her, but in hindsight, she recognized his true motives, restitution for his sister and resolution for himself. Even Elizabeth Bennet was not bold enough to believe a man could love her so much that he might make his enemy his brother. Her smile was also meant to be one of gratitude, for though she had not seen him since Lambton, she had heard from him just once, a letter of condolence last year, received a few months after her father's passing. A short letter, and having read it dozens of times, Elizabeth knew the words by heart. March 8th, 1816, Pemberley, Miss Bennet. Please pardon the liberty I have taken by writing you, but on hearing of your father's death, what could I do except write? I offer my sincerest condolences to your mother, your sisters, but most especially to you. I have some idea of how much you loved and respected your father. I loved and respected my own father. The pain I experienced at his passing, I need not detail here. For now you have experienced such pain as well. But what comes afterwards, this you may not yet know. You will find joy again. Of this I am certain. There has never been one more deserving of joy than you. Still, I cannot soften the blow. The wound may heal, but the scar will always be with you. This is a hard truth, but not a disheartening one. For all our history of arguing, I suspect we would agree on this point. It is better to remember than to forget. No matter the lingering sensations of pain, no matter the ugliness of the scar, remembering the ones we love makes us better and stronger in the end. I, too, have been marked by love, Elizabeth. I would not erase these marks for the world. I will only add once more, God bless you, Fitzwilliam Darcy. Highly improper, and by the number of blots on the page, she supposed him half drunk when he wrote it. She could never quite picture him in his cups. He seemed one of those men who never overindulged anything. But then, what did she know? She probably ought to have burned the letter, for his sake, if not for her own, and yet she kept it tucked away in her father's copy of the Odyssey, a secret within a secret, for she had stolen the book from Longbourn before giving up the house to Mr. Collins. A petty act, stealing, but her cousin had claimed so many of her father's volumes already. As you do not read Greek or Latin, Miss Bennet, I hardly see why you should want these books. Well, she would learn Greek and Latin, damn it, and in the meantime she would open the pages 
and stare at those words her father had loved. And now, Mr. Darcy's words, too. No, not Mr. Darcy's words, for surely it had not been the staid and proper Mr. Darcy who had written her. It had been Fitzwilliam Darcy, that wild-eyed man who had called on her at Hunsford one rainy afternoon to speak of art and love. Would she have called him that? Fitzwilliam? Or William? Or, God forbid, Fitz? That she did not burn the letter, she might chalk up to a momentary indulgence in romantic fancy. But to write him back when he was married and not to her? Pure folly. Yet how could she not write? She knew not what words to use, but wanted desperately to give him some indication that she had read and appreciated his letter. So she had penned a note much briefer than his. Thank you, Fitzwilliam Darcy. Thank you. No date, no signature. Six words from an unmarried woman who could not even claim to be drunk while writing. Well, perhaps drunk with grief. But it had not been grief that had motivated her to post the letter. Another bit of petty larceny. She had walked to Longbourn when she knew the Collinses would be at church, slipped into her father's Collinses study, marked the letter with the Longbourn seal, and hid it in the pile of outgoing mail. Now... As they stared at each other from across the ballroom, she wondered what he had thought upon breaking the seal and seeing his name in her hand. Had he felt anything like the sharp pang of regret she had experienced upon reading Elizabeth in his precise angular lettering? How long had she been standing here gazing at him? Smile, Elizabeth, with kindness, understanding, and gratitude, but for God's sake, smile! Yet when she finally managed to move her lips, she felt that old familiar shape, left corner, full upward tilt, right eyebrow raised in challenge. If you give that mocking smile to all the men you meet, Mrs. Bennet had said to her daughter years ago, you will never marry. Perhaps not, but the man she would never marry, what could he do but offer a smile of his own? Not arch, certainly not grateful, no, his smile evoked all the warmth and bitterness of rich red wine. Miss Bennet, whatever are you doing? Elizabeth felt a tug on her arm and turned to see Miss Bellamy, red-faced and anxious. You're walking straight into the dancers. Indeed, she stood directly next to a group performing the quadrille, a fifth in a dance meant for four. The others gave her a curious glance before continuing on with the prescribed steps. She backed away, though not before glancing across the room again. He had turned his back on her, Mrs. Darcy at his side. For the remainder of the ball, had two hours ever felt so long, she did not bother pretending to ignore him. This had been her tactic in Meryton five years ago, when he had insulted her, and where had that got her? At least now, with all these strangers around her, she might study him without attracting the matchmaking designs of her mother. Kitty, however, had taken up their mother's practice with zeal. You really ought to dance with Mr. Bellamy again. Do you ever become confused calling both your husband and his brother by the same name? Oh, do not try and distract me, Lizzie. I know that he is halfway to proposing to you. If only you would... Dear Mr. Bellamy, I was just saying to my sister that she ought to dance again. Do you not agree? Most heartily, said Mr. David Bellamy, returning from another set. 
she was so good as to give me up to the other ladies, but I would be most honoured if she would bestow her kindness upon me for a second dance. Will you dance with me, Miss Bennet? Would have been so much simpler, so much more direct. Indeed, the words had been so direct at the Netherfield Ball that she had hardly known how to refuse him. Granted, she had learned to refuse him easily enough by the time they met again in Kent. Well, Lizzie, will you not dance with Mr. Bellamy? Kitty asked, nudging her forward. Curtsying, she offered Mr. Bellamy a smile. That kind, dull smile she had tried and failed to use on him. Even as Mr. Bellamy led her onto the floor, she looked for him among the congregating dancers. Surely he would not dance. His wife would not, of this she was certain. In the time she had spent watching them, Elizabeth had seen how stiff and still Mrs. Darcy had stood, how she had glared, a resemblance to Lady Catherine obvious, even from this distance, when another lady had accidentally bumped her shoulder. No, Anne de Bourgh was not one for dancing. But then she was no longer Anne de Bourgh. She was Anne Darcy now. She appeared to have filled out some and even offered an occasional smile to the other woman in their party. It had taken Elizabeth a moment to realize who that other woman was, for though Anne de Bourgh had changed, Georgiana Darcy had changed a good deal more. She was taller and more fashionably dressed, but these were not the chief differences. It was the easy way she smiled and laughed, the confidence of her bearing, that sense that she was finally comfortable in her own skin. Elizabeth supposed her new manner came with growing up, but also had something to do with the man who never left her side, a wild, tawny-haired gentleman who smiled and laughed just as easily as his young wife. The marriage of Georgiana Darcy to the young Earl of Rainford had been such a celebrated match three years prior that the news had reached even Hertfordshire via both the Times and the Morning Post. Mr. Bennet used to delight in reading these papers aloud to his wife and daughters at the breakfast table, the society pages being the only section all members of the family might find some common interest in. Yet, for all his love of reading aloud, Mr. Bennet had hesitated when relaying the news of Miss Darcy's marriage. For the one other time he had read a wedding announcement containing the name Darcy, Elizabeth had left the table without a word of explanation. But then, no explanation had been needed, at least not to Mr. Bennet, who had come to realize that even his favorite daughter was not impervious to a certain kind of silliness. It was no surprise, given their happy means and lively manners, to see the Earl and Countess of Rainford join the set of dancers. But to see him bow to his wife and then take the hand of a young lady who had been left without a partner, a young lady apparently not even of their party, caused Elizabeth such a shock that she nearly missed the opening chords of the dance. Her belated and wobbly curtsy seemed not to bother Mr. Bellamy. Did anything bother Mr. Bellamy? But it did catch the eye of Kitty, who stood next to her in the line of dancers. Lizzie, she whispered, are you well? She had no time to answer, as the music had begun in earnest. Elizabeth was not certain whether to be grateful or disappointed that he and his partner took their places in the line directly behind hers. She would not see him bow, step up, and link arms. She would not see him take his partner's hand so that they might turn and turn again. Only when she cast away from Mr. Bellamy did he enter her line of vision. Then he stood directly opposite her, 
having cast away from his own partner, so that he might return to the original position of the dance. Six steps until they would meet at the starting point. Six steps until turning away, standing back to back, separated once more into different lines. Step, step, step in time. How could she breathe? Step, step, step again. Fast approaching the requirement to return. But close, so close. Close enough to see his Adam's apple bob and his lips form a single, inaudible word. Her name? How did she manage to turn away? Too well trained. She could not ignore the steps she had danced all the years before and after him. He, after all, had been only one dance out of many. Even Mr. Bellamy, you are a charming dancer, Miss Bennet, had danced with her more often. She knew Mr. Bellamy's tastes in food. Oyster, Miss Bennet, are a gift of God. His preference for riding in carriages, mud, I must admit, bothers me more than it should. And all the particulars that gave him the happy manners necessary to speak almost always in jovial exclamation. Indeed, a charming dancer. And what did she know of him? One dance and a few lively debates at Netherfield, several awkward Kent walks in Kent, and an unexpected meeting on the grounds of Pemberley. And oh, one must not forget the rejected proposal in a vicar's parlor or the revelation of an elopement in Lambton. Dramatic moments, full of promise, but nothing substantial, nothing rational, nothing real. This, she knew, had to be a good part of her attraction to him five years later. The counterfactual mysteries, the what-ifs and if-onlys. And still, for all the time she had spent with Mr. Bellamy, it felt as if she were dancing with a stranger. Her heart was somewhere behind her, held by the man she had meant to marry, a man who danced with a stranger of his own. Well, she had to give him this. Each time she saw him, he taught her something new about herself. First, her talent for unwarranted prejudice, and now this addiction to regret. Who would have thought it possible? Certainly not Elizabeth, for she had always subscribed to the philosophy of remembering only what might give pleasure. Yet here she was, spending a perfectly good evening, yearning for a man she knew and did not know, a man she had rejected and who, in return, had rejected her. It felt a relief to laugh at herself then, to laugh loudly enough that Kitty turned and glared. It had been a risk for poor Kitty to invite her to London. Well, a risk and a boon, for Lizzie was surprisingly good with infants for a woman without any of her own. The Bellamys were the kind of family that had a real reason to hope they might be noticed by their betters. They were at least two generations removed from trade, with a small but profitable estate near Oxford. For this reason, Kitty herself had been something of a risk for Mr. Richard Bellamy. But then she was so pretty and obliging that one might forgive her her inferior connections. It was more difficult to forgive an eccentric relation who brought unwanted attentions at the Argyle Rooms, an assembly known for its patronage by some of the ton's finest. For this reason alone, she really ought to behave. Still, Elizabeth felt she deserved a good laugh after so much longing for what could never be. "'Are you well, Miss Bennet?' asked Mr. David Bellamy. Even his concern was jovial. 
and yet he never really laughed, certainly not as she laughed now. Oh, quite well, and not at all, she replied, laughing still. Was it her own vanity that made her certain he stood staring at her as she took Bellamy's arm and left the floor? Probably, for she never turned to check, another moment full of empty possibility. Instead, she took her place next to Miss Bellamy while Mr. David Bellamy danced a set with Kitty. Mr. Richard Bellamy went to retrieve the refreshments. It may calm her down a bit, said Kitty's husband, and what was no doubt meant to be a whisper to his wife. Miss Bellamy, who had tried and failed for much of the night to engage Elizabeth in polite conversation, turned now to a neighbor, another spinster, swept to the sidelines until she could be useful again as a chaperone. Left to herself, Elizabeth took a few calming breaths and resolved to quit the silly game. To not look at him, she looked instead at the large window next to which he and his party now stood. Their blurry reflections made her suppose that Mrs. Darcy might be anybody, even her. She might have held to her resolution to avoid looking at him, if only his sister had not sought her out. Elizabeth did not at first notice the girl, woman, countess, but then she heard the soft, clipped enunciation of her name, Miss Bennet. Turning, she blinked in surprise before offering a curtsy. She tried not to be too obvious in her examination of this girl who might have been her sister. Georgiana had grown to look more like her brother in the intervening years, a fact Elizabeth blamed for her slip. Miss Darcy, she exclaimed warmly. Lord Rainford, who stood at Georgiana's side, cleared his throat. In fact, he said with a good-natured chuckle, she has not been Miss Darcy for nearly four years now. Elizabeth would have apologized had Georgiana not spoken first. He is very happy, you know. The Earl looked dismayed at this outburst, but his surprise could be nothing to Elizabeth's. Oh, she knew precisely what Georgiana meant. Her shock came not from the words, but from the tone, angry, adversarial, accusatory. It was not just that Elizabeth had once known a shy and gentle Miss Darcy. It was that she could think of no reason for being the target of such venom. In spite of everything, Georgiana continued in an even fiercer tone, he is very, very happy. How could Elizabeth hold to her resolution in the face of this moment? She looked over at him, still standing beneath a large window, but he was in discussion with another gentleman, only his profile visible to her. Had he sent his sister to speak with her? That seemed impossible to believe, and yet so did this entire evening. No, he was not cruel. He may not have been able to abide the idea of marrying her, George Wickham's sister-in-law, but he did not despise her either. She felt certain of that somehow. This hatred seemed to belong to Georgiana alone, and Elizabeth could not understand it. Still, she pulled herself together, turned to meet those furious eyes, more green than grey, but in shape quite the same as his, and said, I am glad to hear it, Lady Rainford. No man deserves happiness more than your brother. If Georgiana had shocked Elizabeth, she had just returned the favour. The fury left the younger woman's eyes, and her whole frame drooped. The earl again cleared his throat, 
But Elizabeth had no wish to hear his good-natured comments, and she could not bear to hear Georgiana's response, whether it be apology or explanation. Good evening, Lady Rainford, Lord Rainford. A quick curtsy, and an even quicker escape to the refreshment room, where she met Mr. Richard Bellamy. Surprised, but then that was the sentiment of the evening. She took one of the drinks from his hand and threw it back in one unladylike gulp. With little idea of what to do with herself, she followed her disapproving brother-in-law back to the ballroom, all the while planning a speech about headaches or exhaustion or foot pains. I am not getting any younger, you know. She need not have bothered. Miss Bellamy provided a much better excuse, for she herself claimed a headache and asked to be accompanied home to Hanover Square. Elizabeth let out another inappropriate laugh. Kitty looked as if she were not sure whether to censure or soothe. She must have settled on the latter, having learned from Lydia that it was always best to become more obliging when those around you became more unreasonable. "'What do you mind, dearest?' she asked, patting Elizabeth on the arm. "'I simply hate to ask it of you,' she continued, "'but Mr. Bellamy and I would like to dance a bit more.' "'But would it be right?' asked Miss Bellamy, "'who clearly did not want this odd, not-so-young lady to accompany her home, "'for us to return alone, two ladies. "'I was thinking David might—' "'Mr. David Bellamy looked at her then, and Elizabeth knew. "'All she had to do was smile and nod. "'Smile and nod, and she might, after getting Miss Bellamy safe to bed, "'find herself alone in the drawing-room with Mr. David Bellamy.' who would speak without once mentioning her inferior connections or his ardent love. He would not mind her odd ways. He would simply wait them out, patient, until they faded with age, like whatever beauty she might now claim. His would be, naturally, a most jovial proposal. Surely, Miss Bellamy, said Elizabeth, taking that good spinster's arm, we can make it to the carriage on our own. Oh, I am not certain. Miss Bellamy frowned. There have been reports of brigands. Elizabeth smiled. In London? Well, we will brandish our umbrellas and frighten them away. But we did not bring umbrellas, Miss Bennet. Our metaphorical umbrellas, then. Mr. Bellamy, you ought to remain and dance. I see many more ladies who would be so glad of it. He hesitated, glancing between her and those other young ladies. Are you certain, Miss Bennet? Absolutely certain, Mr. Bellamy. The look of pity that Kitty gave her then might have broken her heart, had it not already been broken. As it was, she was free to go, free to stand alone, free to be Miss Elizabeth Bennet. With one backward glance, their eyes met, time stopped, and then resumed its petty pace. She departed.